Hey, everybody. Just to let you know, this podcast may contain some adult or possibly offensive language. No nudity, though. <laughs> Unless you're thinking about <laughs> naked people. It's not easy to break tradition, you know, or like evolve tradition in Italy. <laughs> they want to burn me in the main piazza as a witch, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hey, 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 party people in the place to be. You're checking out What's Good with Stretch, Stretch and Bobito. Bobito. I am Stretch Armstrong. My name is Bobito Garcia. Indeed. And I'm hungry right now. Well, you're going to get hungrier <laughs> because we don't have food. And today's guest is the world-renowned chef and humanitarian Massimo Batura. Now, Stretch, I have to admit that I'm I, I'm not the jealous type. Peanut butter and jelly? But I, Tengo Celos, you were able to go to his restaurant in Italy, in Modena, and experience the number one rated restaurant at this point in the entire world. What was that like? Yeah. Um, well, of course, I got invited by Massimo. I was... Uh, DJing an event for our friend Giorgio Dimitri. Mm -hmm. um, it was a costume party. <laughs> I'm DJing in the booth, and I didn't really participate in the full grandeur of, of costumology. I was wearing a white suit with a white mask. <laughs> That's it. Because, <laughs> you know, you're DJing, right? You're getting high sure. and whatnot. Um, and uh, Massimo <laughs> comes into the booth, and he puts his hand out. and says, hello, are you stretch? Is he dressed as a, as a lasagna? <laughs> He was dressed as the crunchy part of the lasagna. <laughs> I have to admit, like, I had heard of him, but I didn't know what he looked like. And I guessed that it was him for some reason. And when he said, I hope you can come to my restaurant to eat, I was hoping that it was him. <laughs> because that would mean we were going to go to Austria Francescana. Yeah. And the next day, sure enough, I was there. Sitting at uh, and and at this the is, chef's table. Now this is a restaurant that has a waiting list of what months, maybe a year to to sit at, and you're just meeting him for the first time, and then like how serendipitous. It was incredible. It, it um it surpassed my expectations. Um, Massimo was there for the whole meal, um, and in between explaining what each dish meant, um, he was telling just crazy stories about things that happened in New York with other chefs, about nightclubbing back in the day. I, it was just the most incredible experience culinarily that I've ever had. I probably will never experience something like that again unless well, I can go to <laughs> Osteria with you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he also has a nonprofit, Food for Soul, which he has been collaborating with other chefs and restaurants around the world. Our audience out there, you are in for a treat. Coming up next... Massimo, the Grand Chef. We'd like to say a quick thank you and share a message from one of our sponsors, Sony Music Latin, presenting Grammy Award-winning artist Ile, a Puerto Rican singer and composer known for her work with Calle 13. Her debut album, Ilevitable, garnered her a Best New Artist nomination at the Latin Grammys and subsequently won the award for Best Latin Rock urban or alternative album at the 60th annual Grammy Awards. Her new single and video titled, Audio, is available everywhere ahora mismo. 
Some things were meant for each other. Fries and milkshakes, selfies and duck face, and now, what's good with Stretch and Bobbito and Spotify? Yes, the same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. To subscribe to ours, search for What's Good with Stretch and Bobbito, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify. They're streaming right now and now and now. And we are back in the studio with, oh, with, 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 with Oh guys, with, this, is, this is this is crazy. What's going on with, here? With world renowned. He doesn't know what is no, I don't know. What Can we, we start this thing? Where am I? <laughs> you did look a, a little discombobulated yeah, when you walked this, in. This what is happened? A zoo. Did You're, they you prep know. you? Yeah. Were you taking no, they, the, no, no, I don't know anything. Yeah, <laughs> I just walk in. <laughs> Well, welcome to our show. This is What's Good with Stretch. That's right. And the voice you're hearing is none other than world-renowned chef, Massimo Batura. I think at the stage, you're Did he pronounce it okay? Yeah, perfect. You're, you're perfect. Okay. Actually, one of the first one who pronounced Massimo Batura very well. Oh, cool. You're reaching that, that level of status where I think we might even be able to just drop the Batura. Like when someone says Massimo, they know who they're talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. They all call me Massimo. Yeah. yeah. Um, you learned how to cook from your Ooh. your mother, your grandmother, and your aunts. Is that correct? Yeah. I think my grandmother was extremely important in my life. First of all, because she convinced me to stop playing soccer as a professionist, but uh, keep studying. I was seventeen, and I was pretty good on playing soccer, and as all the Italians, you know, does. And uh, and she said, you know, if you want to play, you can play, but you're going to regret for the rest of your life. So keep studying, keep studying. It's very important. And she convinced me. And that was a key moment in my life. Or my mom, she transferred the obsession about the quality of the ingredients, you know. And uh, But my mom was very important in the moment in which I, I started... Uh, studying uh, to become a low school. And she saw me that I wasn't happy at all. I dropped low school and I, one week later, I was in the kitchen of a small place in the countryside of Modena. And uh, I put all myself, all my strength, because I, I had to show my father that my mom was right and he was wrong, you know? <laughs> so if I think about my mom and my grandmother, you know, those two moments were like, the most important moment of my life, you know. I'm just curious about, you know, the role of women in the traditional Italian home, right? They're, they're yeah. the ones in the kitchen, right? Yeah, they're, yeah. Are they territorial? Like, like men stay no, out? it's or? like, it's always been a, a, man, a woman um, territory in which, uh, you know, usually in the countryside, uh, they were taking care of the whole, even the whole economy, you know. Uh, they didn't lose one... Uh, piece of breadcrumbs because they know exactly what to do with everything. I mean, my grandmother was saying the 8th of December where we were killing the pigs was a very special moment for us in the country. She was saying this pig is giving his life and uh, is going to feed the family for the whole year. So we have to be very respectful. It's a very spiritual action. Is giving his life for us, so we have to use every single bone of the animal. So that's the point that for me was like extremely important that because I've learned not to waste anything. And around the table in the kitchen, you know, it's uh, it's the way you put together the family, you know, all, 
all my brothers and sisters and aunt and uh, you know parents and mother and grandmothers all together and you play and you play you, you fight you make peace you dream together you plan the future you talk about business or soccer whatever but it's it's always in the kitchen table so i'm thinking you know world war 2 right your grandmothers are coming of age in this era and yeah. you know what what was food like in Italy during these times and in post-World War II, yeah. I'm imagining the cuisine and the food available had to have taken a shift. Yeah. And what, what memories, or no, not your own, of course. You're no, not no, no, enough, no. It's a, I have so many stories mm -hmm. that uh, Lydia, Lydia was that my, my first chef in uh, Trattoria del Campazzo. She's like the woman that really gave me the opportunity to learn in a professional way how to prepare and to be ready for a a big night, you know? And uh, Lydia and uh, my grandmother, was they were, they were telling me all these stories about food and tradition. They, you know, they disappear. You know, for example, countryside. No, there no, was nothing because, you know, the Germans and fascists, they were like killing everything and, and steal everything in that moment. And, you know, you didn't have anything to eat. And the uh, farmers, they were chasing for wild potatoes that at that time they were called wild potatoes and they were boiling them and they were really bad. Those wild potatoes were truffles. <laughs> the black truffles, the big black, black truffles, they were used as potatoes and they, I don't wanna say they smell, but they, they taste like hearth. But when you didn't have anything to eat and you didn't know what to do with that kind of stuff, you were boiling them and uh, you know, to survive. Those kind of things is like unbelievable, like passatelli, like one of my favorite meal, like breadcrumbs with bread, like four, five days old. You grate it and you mix with uh, some Parmigiano-Reggiano crust, grated on top of that. And uh, one or two eggs makes a very quick dough, uh, some uh, nutmeg and uh, squeeze into, into a potato squeezer, into a broth like chicken broth, maybe, and uh, you eat as a noodle. And this is something that gener was generated during the 1930s, 40s, yeah, during, there during was wartime. Yeah, Italian cuisine comes from the people, you know. The Italians, they were like very poor and, and uh, they were like developing this cuisine with nothing. So that's what we are, you know, with a tomato, give me a tomato plate of, and uh, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, one pound of pasta and we're gonna create something amazing. and and so enjoyable, you know. Love it. You hungry? <laughs> no, I, I, I want to know why you ask me that. It's the first time they ask me something like that. Well, but I mean, I'm very interesting. You yeah, know? my mother, she was raised in, in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, there's a dish there called bianda. Basically, they, they, take, they take the jaltia, they take the juca, they take the batata, and yeah. they mix it all together yeah. in, in like a stew. And, and it's really, it's it's not just about what would go well with each other, but it's also making the best out of what the earth provides. And yeah. we generally conceive of Italian cuisine as this, I mean, you know, your, your restaurant is ranked number one in the world right now, so we think of it in a very high level yeah. in, in, in similar way with the French cuisine. Couldn't have always been like that. This kind of mentality is exactly the mentality we approach to the refettorio. We have what is the refettorio? Refettorio is like my social project. It's like my, uh, during the Universal Exposition 2015, the theme was uh, uh, Feed the Planet. 
We produce food for 12 billion people. We are 7 billion on Earth. 1 billion people, they don't have anything to eat. And we waste 1.3 billion tons of food. This is unacceptable. So feed the planet means, for me, fight waste and not produce more. All the waste is going to be, is polluted the world. It's the first cause of pollution. So this is crazy. We mm. produce food, we use energy, water, and human resources, and then we polluted the world because we burn it. We don't eat it. We set up the bar very high. We create our own pavilion outside the Universal Exposition. We regenerate this amazing 1930 theater, and we create a beautiful place that revived the old neighborhood, welcoming people like migrants, um, refugees, homeless, you know, people they in need in a most amazing space. So through beauty, you can rebuild dignity of the people. This in three years became a global movement. In 2018, the chef is much more than the sum of his recipes. That means you have a voice. You can use uh, the spotlight that is on you as best restaurant in the world and help the other. You know, this is consciousness, you know. When you talk about food, you often invoke the concept of family, sort of literally and, and figuratively. Of course, you have your own family, and then Francescana is a family. Absolutely. Um, seems like you've done this beautiful thing where you've kind of integrated the two. So if you could just maybe talk about the concept of family yeah, and how it course. relates to food. Of course. It's like uh, I dedicate really my life to the obsession, uh, obsession of cooking and obsession of quality. And, uh, you know, once uh, you start, uh, you know, you have this kind of mentality, you have to involve your family because otherwise you're going to lose it. So I start uh, involving Lara, Charlie, and Alexa in, uh, in, the, in our everyday life. Yeah, Charlie and Alexa are your children? Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, uh, and so... Yeah. Our listeners don't know. I'm sorry. To me, it's like... are these three people you're talking about? Yeah, it's like my wife and my, and my daughter and my son. Yeah, of course, I speak like with my friends, you know, here. And um, we dedicate our life to to the restaurant, to, to feed the people, to hospitality. And so we, we need to, to integrate this. And uh, as Lara said many times, you know, my wife said, I marry Massimo, but I also marry my, the restaurant because it's like we treat them as a family, you know. We provide them like place to sleep, food, oh, wow. uh, you know, everything, you know. I had the privilege of dining at at the Osteria um, with our friend Giorgio Dimitri and, yeah. and uh, his lovely wife. Um, and I, was, I was not there. And you were there. Um, <laughs> I was there. And it was really... I'm always there. <laughs> when I'm in Modena, I'm always, okay. uh, I'm always say hi to people, welcome people. Uh-huh. You know, it's like always. There's an intellectual component to your food. Yes. And you walked us through everything. Yeah. I never really contemplated the amount of thought that went into it's crazy. into a dish. Yeah. Um, so, and, and one of the main takeaways for me was that the tradition of not just Italian cooking, but, but the cooking from your area yeah. um, is very strong. But you said it's not holy. No. Right? No, no, absolutely. To me, one of the most important thing is like, it's like, look at the past in a very critical way, not in a nostalgic one. 
Because if you look at the past in a nostalgic one, you don't change anything. You don't evolve. But in a critic way, you can get the best from the past into the future. When uh, the New York Times gave me the honor to be one of the greats, you know, and uh, I I shoot a video with uh, Yuri, an, an, an artist, about just the sound of the crunchy part of the lasagna. The crunchy part of the lasagna is the most interesting part of the big pan of the lasagna that the grandmother usually bring uh, in the middle of the table uh, for Sunday lunch. Me and my brothers, uh, we were fighting over the crunchy part of the lasagna. So when I'm rebuilding, you know, and I'm cooking something like that, you know, I don't care about eating like this big pan of the lasagna serving like an enormous amount of food. I want to serve emotions. And to serve emotion, I have to rebuild the crunchy part of the lasagna and share with everyone who comes to Osteria just that corner, crunchy corner, with the, the perfect bolognese sauce and the, an amazing, uh, you know, bechamela, no? That's the point, you know? You don't come to Osteria Francescana, travel 24 hours by plane and to eat good food. Of course, it's a good food. It's a three Michelin star. But... You come to eat the e cultural expression of the chef. If you ask me what do you do every day, I answer, I compress into edible bites my passion. But sitting on centuries of history, so it's super Italian, and uh, but filtered by a contemporary mind. I read, though, that the, f the first year you were feeding friends constantly, right? You know, friends yeah. because uh, no one was showing up at the restaurant. So you had to get people. Yeah, there was years by years by years. <laughs> like, you know, no one was showing up. I had to sell everything. You know, now it's very easy to see. Oh my God, so successful, number one restaurant in the world. But for s seven years, you know, it was like struggling and struggling because we were cooking exactly the same things. You know, the five different age Parmigiano in five different texture and temperature, the ice cream bar of foie gras with uh, balsamic vinegar and, uh, you know, uh, crunchy almond and hazelnuts, you know. But people didn't want that. They didn't understand. That was too avant-garde for them. And then, uh, you know, when uh, the first hours arrived, uh, when... Uh, you know, I received all the prizes and the things. Uh, it became, uh, you know, they became icon for the contemporary cuisine. It's not easy to break tradition, you know, or like, or like evolve tradition in Italy. <laughs> they want to burn me in the main piazza as a witch, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, but the key point was uh, was uh, the moment, <laughs> the moment in which uh, we. We have shown uh, all the, uh, these guys, the locals, that we can cook better than their grandmothers. You know, that was the moment. That was the moment in which we were make pasta better than the grandmothers. They understood that I could paint also in abstract. You know, Picasso was always saying, you know, I was drawing as Raffaello since I was 13, and then it took their whole life to paint like a kid, exactly like, like us, you know? Like, mm. you couldn't, you have to do step by step. You can't pass, you can't provocate people if they don't understand. You have to show them step by step what you can do and then you take with them, you take hand by, you know, by hand and say, come with me, I'll show you also what we can do. So we are in New York City, some place that you return to frequently. Yeah. You live in New York in 93, but you already have the restaurant back at home, right? Yes, yes. How does that work? How do you just... Get I, I don't know. I don't know. I was uh, I was really. Uh, I 
I was I was ready to leave, and uh, New York was my place. I fell in love since the first time I came. Oh, in, so you in came in 1982. In 82. And what did you yeah. experience? What then? a time! Yeah, that was that was very, <laughs> you know, that was very different. <laughs> were, were you into breaking at all? No, we were we were here with a team of uh, people. Uh, we were all the young kids uh, learning English. It was insane. Were you was, uns- unsupervised for, for some of that time? Yeah. 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 <laughs> his, his eyes are, yeah. You look like a devil <laughs> right no, now. Yeah, What's going no, on? No, no. What happened? <laughs> no, it's like, we, we had like, you know, we, it, was, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. I fell in love for New York, you know, and like in 93, I left everything to come here. Then I rent a small apartment in Upper West Side, that day was I was walking in Seoul. I remember the, the exactly day. It was the seventh of October of uh, April, nineteen ninety-three. I was walking in this uh, in this the area in Seoul from between Grand and Mercer, checking you know Jeffrey Deitch Gallery, nice. Grand, and then, then I have seen uh, a sign of uh, important uh, coffee brand, Italian coffee brand. I said, I'm going to have a cappuccino. And I walk in and I ask for a cappuccino and took like 25 minutes to have a cappuccino. So I said, my God, these guys, they have problems. (laughs) So I said, I'm not doing anything, you know, right now. I would maybe help them. And so I left my number, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I went back home and I received a message on the answer machine and saying, can you come tomorrow? And uh, and, uh, the same day, Lara applied for a job mm. in that same place <laughs> as a bartender. She was acting at the Worcester Theater on the other side of the street, and and um, she received the same message. So we start the 9th of uh, of April, and in one week we had uh, the key of the restaurant. I uh, I decide the menu. I kept the restaurant open for dinner too because they, they were like serving just uh, breakfast, lunch. And became uh, pretty successful. And this was going on till uh, September, end of September. So I went back home because I had to go back home. And I left everything, you know, again. <laughs> what were you exposed to in New York City that, that you carry with you to this day? Actually, I met my wife there, you know. You still carry her. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but uh, no, Lara was extremely, extremely helpful. She really made visible the invisible for me. There was before and after New York, you know. So I start really getting deep into art and stealing ideas from the artists and putting <laughs> them in edible ideas, you know. Like they also, this old new generation of British artists like Damien Hirst, Tracy Hemming, Jake and Dino Chapman, all these guys, you know. Or, or the first one that she introduced me were, were like the wild American, like uh, beginning of the 80s, like Robert Longo, Schnabel, you know, Christopher Wool, uh, Peter Ailey, Ross Blackner, uh, you know, all these guys. That was something that really inspired me and evolved my way of thinking and my way of cooking. So when I opened Osteria Francescana in 95, I was already on another planet, you know, with my mind. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your nonprofit Food for Soul earlier. You've collabed with other chefs and restaurants worldwide. Yeah. And uh, it includes a Bronx native, uh, one of the co-founders of Ghetto Gastro yeah. by the name of John Gray. And we yeah. actually have him on the phone. Really? Live yeah. from London. 
Oh, John, where are you? I'm in London, man. I'm in the ends out I'm here. I'm in London, man. What's up, baby? <laughs> Ciao, Ciao, what up? Ciao, Massimo. Ciao, Bobito. Ciao, Stretch. What's good? What, what up, man? You don't sound Italian at all, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's it. That's the North South Bronx accent, you know? The real little Italy off the Ave, you dig? <laughs> Word up. Hey, John, just to make this dummy proof for those that don't know, can you briefly describe what Ghetto Gastro is? Sure, sure. You know, it's a culinary collective. Me and three of my comrades um, kind of got together, wanted to express like the essence of our childhood, which is like hip hop growing up on shows like Stretching by Beto, you know? With those vibes, like and <laughs> distilling, distilling that feeling into food and food events and products around food, and just just taking the aesthetic of like postmodernism, aka hip hop, and and bringing that to the game. It's so funny because if we could we could extract the words hip hop and the Bronx out of what you just said, and it completely reflects exactly what Massimo has been sharing with us about his approach towards towards uh, cooking and. True. And true. And just for the record, I'm the one. I'm the one member of Ghetto Gastro that's not a chef. They call me the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, are. You are. Right, so, but you have to be proud of being there. Yeah. And uh, I always say each role is very important. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you have the chef, but if the the dishwasher screw up, you know, the whole service goes bad. So, it's the team is the team. Doesn't matter if you're the chef or the dishwasher. And John, you already know. <laughs> Tell us how Massimo Batoro and Ghetto Gastro link up. Yeah, because that's two worlds apart. <laughs> can I can I tell the story, yeah. Max? Yeah, yeah, of course. So check it. We like four years ago, we in Copenhagen at this, um, I guess, symposium called MAD, and we kind of my about. Is that, the, is that an acronym for something? Is it an acronym, is MAD an Massimo? Acronym for I something? think MAD just means food in Danish. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I think it's like yeah. a yeah. Yeah, I think it's like a little double entendre. They try to get on a Sean Carter, I guess, with this thing. Um, so we up there, mad symposium, and me and the homies we mobbing through there, and we had on the GG merch, and we had like one of the after parties, and we meet Massimo and his wife Laura at our friend Matt Orlando's restaurant in Moss. We had dinner the, the night before. Um, and then we yeah. went to the party and we mobbing. I guess Massimo and I had a, had a few drinks. We all was drinking. And we had the GG shirts on. And Massimo ran down on my partner, Les, like, yo, where the fuck is my... Can I curse on this? Is this like... What's the... Yeah, it's, it's whatever <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> <laughs> it's already out there. <laughs> Massimo, Massimo's like, yo, where's my GG shirt? I'm ghetto gastro. Where's my shirt? And he put pressure on the homies, and so we had to give him a shirt. And, and ever since then, I feel like we've been mobbing, you know? That's true. That's <laughs> that's what happened. And then, uh, you know, we became friends, and, you know, they came and visited us in Osteria many times. Actually, they sleep in my house. So that's a, that's, that's how, how we treat people in Modena, you know? So uh, people I, like, like John is uh, like part of the family now. Beautiful. So how, do, how does Food for a Soul, the nonprofit, and Ghetto Gastro uh, act on a, on a human level to create food for the, the objective of providing for those who may not have? So I first learned about Food for Soul when I think it was still 
it was still a work in progress. And it's when um, Massimo and Laura had come to New York. They did a book signing in um, at the 92nd Street Y, which ironically is where I used to go to summer camp and after school when I was living in um, El Barrio in Spanish Harlem. So we went we went there for that. And they kind of gave us like a little teaser, like, yo, we working on something real, real important. It's going to be good at some point. We want to like involve you if it makes sense. And then when they launched in Milan at the expo, um, I had the privilege of going out there. Then I was able to spend the day kind of kind of observing. It was just really inspiring to to kind of see people, people really treated, people that might have been down on some hard times or going through something at the time, like being able to be in a, sp- a space that was beautiful and treated like human beings and, and serve world-class cuisine and using the waste that 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 piece also struck a chord but also just like the like the elders from the community coming in to volunteer and having a place and something to do so it's like that multi-generational immersion really really touched me and just being from the Bronx which is like the people in of the community are very food insecure we don't have a lot of access to good good food options so i was like yo when you when you're thinking about New York, let's let's think about the Bronx and how we can make it happen. So I think that's what we're still trying to figure out, locking the right partners to get that going in New York at some point. Well, if you need help, once yeah. once the Bronx gets uh, oh, going, please. Of course, of course, lean, we lean on us. We will we help, will need you know. uh, all the help from everyone, you know, because uh, it's extremely important. The more you involve community. Uh, the more important we became because it's like it's all about you are welcome come walk in be part of the of our community hey john appreciate you uh reaching out my brother and i look forward to meeting you and crossing paths at some point although john (laughs) no question let's build so john later man all right child peace everybody we're gonna take a quick break massimo will be right back all right yes of course all right of course 20th Century Fox presenting The Hate You Give, a new film about hope and standing up for what is right. Based on a critically acclaimed New York Times bestseller by Angie Thomas, starring Amanda Stenberg as star with Regina Hall, Russell Hornsby, Issa Rae, K.J. Apa, Algie Smith, Sabrina Carpenter, Common, and Anthony Mackie. Find your voice. Change the world. The Hate You Give in select theaters October 5th and everywhere October 19th. This week on Code Switch, La Bamba, why this Spanish-language song with Afro-Mexican roots is an all-American anthem. And we're back with Massimo Batura. Word up, and it's time for the impression session. It's pretty simple, Massimo. uh, We're going to do something that you love to do, which is listen to music. We're each going to play you a track. You react, and as simple as that. All right. I'm here. I'm uh-huh. here. I'm uh-huh. here. Cool. Who, who's going cool. first? I kind of feel like you always go first, so why not you go, go first? first? Yeah, okay, cool. All right, so uh, we're going to play a track. Enjoy. All right. My good love's cheesecake. Cheesecake munching on a cheesecake munching on a cheesecake. Postmodern music. Cheesecake. Cheesecake munching on a cheesecake munching on a cheesecake. Cheesecake. Cheesecake, gobble, gobble, cheesecake, gobble, gobble, cheesecake. Cheesecake. Cheesecake, gobble, gobble, cheesecake, gobble, gobble, cheesecake. This is so good. Cheesecake, munching on a
So uh, the artist was Louis Armstrong, yeah. as you might imagine, and uh, the title of the track, as you might imagine as well, <laughs> was Cheesecake. <laughs> so what'd you think of it? Uh, about Cheesecake or about Armstrong? <laughs> or about this song? All, all three. I'm not crazy about New Orleans jazz. Of course, it was like beginning and anything, everything started from there. I don't want to be a, you know, a you? music critic. You yeah. know? Like, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that, I love it. You so, know. And about cheesecake, uh, you know, it's not so easy as you think. You know, you need you need really knowledge to to create the perfect cheesecake. Gobble gobble. And the sound and the gobble gobble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's okay. What it, what is. What are Massimo and his family, his personal family, not your restaurant family, what are your guilty pleasures in terms of food? My guilty pleasure is like eating late at night, you know, <laughs> when you finish. Sometimes, uh, you know, I have a decompression room that is my music room. In there, you sometimes I could get some chocolate cream and get um, some toast and, you know, eat and... <laughs> <laughs> Something that you don't have to do, yeah. If you want to keep like, you know, perfect fit, yeah, and, yeah. You know, but it's what I like, you know. It's like oh, pizza, pizza, woo. <laughs> I love, I love simple pizza, you know. But gabo gabo very, pizza. No, gabo gabo pizza, you know. Yeah, don't, don't, you know, no pineapple, please. Oh. You know, no, no, no Hawaiian pizza. You know, but you know, sometimes uh, you know I meet people like crazy people. You know, there's, there was this professor from Boston University. I, rem I don't remember kind of it. But he was trying to convince me that pizza was invented in Chicago. <laughs> and I was like, but are, you, are you sure? You know, you, are you sure you're, you, you're real? You're, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, pizza is like something that sounds or looks very simple. But I, to, to eat the right pizza, it's extremely, extremely difficult. My song. Here we go. <laughs> Massimo just whispered, who is this? <laughs> I'll tell you, that, that is the Junkyard Band, and the song is called Sardines, and it's actually, it, it's a- The Junkyard Band. The Junkyard Band. They're a, back then, they were a group of, of young men or teenagers, aged between like, 12 and 16, and- um, Really? I didn't know that. And that's one of the earliest records on Def Jam. It was an anomaly, because it was a, a, not a hip-hop record. That's a go-go record. I don't know if you're familiar with go-go music, yeah. but it's- uh, it's one of the most local genres of music 
in the United States. It's from Washington, D.C. And um, I guess the, the easiest way to describe it would be hip-hop, but with a live band. But they still, the, the parties are called Go-Go's. They still have them to this day. Um, briefly in the 80s, uh, Go-Go records were, um, were crossing over like Trouble Funk. Um, they were sampled a lot in hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Um, EU had a big hit, uh, Do It wow. In The Butt. Wow, that's I don't know if you know that song. Doing The Butt. Doing The Butt. Oh, doing anyway, the butt. I, I love that record. <laughs> and um, and we, we both played you songs that are about food, which is kind of silly. It just worked out like that. Yeah. But um, anyway, I'm talking too much. No, no, I, I, I love it. I love I love your explanation. You know, I love that kind of stuff because I'm not familiar with that. So I was very interesting to, to understand what are you talking about. I have another another thing, that, you know, a story about food and uh, involving a guy from New York. This guy was Lou Reed. He wasn't crazy about food. An artist, Stephen T. Greenfield Sanders, uh, made a reservation for him and his band because they were playing in Modena. I was like, wow, Lou Reed is coming. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, in, I was so excited. And uh, at the end of the meal, he said, do you have a table for tomorrow, for lunch? Of course. So he came back and I set a, a new tasting menu, you know, for him. And he said, okay, I have to go, but I'm coming back tonight if you have a table, of course. I said, yes, I'm going to have a table for you, but you're going to sign all my records. He said, of course I'll do. For you, I'll do it. He didn't realize that I had like, 75 uh, vinyl, <laughs> you know, and all these things. And he did it. He did it. And he said, You brought all, all 75 all, of Reed's all, albums. All, of all, the, wow. all the albums. And I have all signed by him yeah. from the Velvet to his albums Amazing. and all the bootlegs. Uh-huh. You know, in that moment, I was very struggling because people didn't understand what I was doing because it's much more easy to stay in nostalgia and keep going like that and not asking yourself question and doubt and you know well the world is grateful for the the risk that you have taken thank you ci vediamo thank you Thanks ci so vediamo much. next time or in it or in modena yes grazie oh, grazie a tutti grazie a tutti ragazzi <laughs> we love music and food that is our show. This podcast was produced by Michelle Lands, edited by Jordana Hochman and Nigeri Eaton, and our executive producer is Abby O'Neill. Music by composer Ellie Escobar and our own Robertino Garcia. <laughs> if you like the show, you can find more at npr.org or wherever you get your podcasts, including bonus video content on Spotify on Fridays. Thanks to Spotify for their support. While you're at it, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. That's how we know you are listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Stretch and Bob or Instagram at Stretch and Bobito. Word up! Peace!